Our sermon text and Old Testament text this morning is Psalm 88. It's also known as the darkest psalm in all of Scripture. If you would, please turn with me there as we read it. A song. A psalm of the sons of Korah. To the choir master, according to Mahalath Leonath, a mascal of Haman, the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, my life draws near to Sheol. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm a man who has no strength like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You've put me in the, region, in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted, close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my, my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we do pray you would send out your light and your truth. Uh, Lord, this is a a dark psalm, but uh, Lord, many of us have darkness in our lives. And Lord, we we ask that you would send out your light and your truth into that darkness. Lord, you are the God who raises the dead. And we pray that you would come, Lord, and raise us up into hope through this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The church historian uh, named Martin Marty, he he tells a story about Psalm 88. Um, Martin's wife had cancer, and every night he would uh, wake up with her and uh, help her with her cancer treatment. It was a very dark and hopeless time for both of them. Part of their routine in the wee hours of the morning was to read a psalm. Well, 
One night, it was time to read the nightly psalm. He opened his Bible to where the bookmark was, and it's at Psalm 88. He glances at it briefly and thinks, okay, there's, there's no way I'm reading this to my wife. She's got enough hopelessness already. This will depress her even more. So he, instead, he, he skips it and starts to read Psalm 89. And his wife stops him and says, wait, wait, wait a second. Why are you reading 89? You skipped 88. And he said, I, I don't think you need to hear that one. And she said, no, that's exactly the kind of psalm I need to hear. Why would she say such a thing? Why would someone who is hopeless need to hear a hopeless psalm? That's what I hope to explore with you this morning. Psalm Psalm 88, it doesn't sound like other psalms. Most other psalms are very carefully constructed with this progression that leads up to a point of victory. If not victory, at least hope. And Psalm 88 instead just repeats itself over and over, saying just the same things again and again, ending not with hope, but in darkness. Literally, the last word is darkness. For this reason, theologian Derek Thomas says this psalm should have an R rating. To some commentators, this psalm is an embarrassment. It's, it's sacrilegious. How dare someone talk to God that way? And to others, this is a psalm of example of someone whose faith is failing. Or maybe even someone who is being failed by God. I have a different take on this psalm. It sounds to me more like someone who has uh, quite a bit of darkness in their lives, but they've bottled it up for, for far too long. They, they've, they've pushed it down for far too long. And they just can't take it any longer. And so they go and they find someone willing to listen. And they, they pour out their sorrows in a flood. Now I'm, I'm sure that being a counselor shapes the way that I see this song. Okay, but if you ask me, this sounds like the beginning of many counseling meetings. Someone has just poured out their heart. Maybe for the first time in a long time. They're, they're weeping, they're groaning, they're, they're sighing. And now they just stare at you in silence. And they're, they're wondering, do you have anything to say to this darkness that I just poured out before you? The psalm tells us in the inscription it was written by a man named Haman. Haman the Ezraite. Um, Ironically, First Chronicles tells us that uh, Haman was someone David appointed to the tabernacle, a musician, to sing uh, songs of praise and thanksgiving. Not so much here in Psalm 88. Whatever is going on in Haman's life, I already know this, we won't be able to fix it. Our job instead is we have to help Haman find hope in the midst of hopeless circumstances. There's one catch, though. In order to do that, well, with every counseling meeting, in order to help a person, you have to meet them wherever they are. With Haman's case, we have to descend into the darkness 
We have to feel Haman's hopelessness. Only then will we be able to speak words of hope that he can hear. So that's, that's a very simple structure that we'll give to this sermon. Uh, first, we'll, we'll go down into the pit and meet Haman there. And then we'll help Haman find his way out of the pit, out of the darkness, and into hope. And hope, help, hopefully as we do that, uh, we ourselves will find hope in the midst of dark circumstances. So let's take our first step into the pit, into the darkness. You read the psalm, and, and to put it simply, something hurts. Something is, he's in pain of, of, of all kinds. So much so that he says in verse 3, my soul is full of troubles. We're not told what kind of, of trouble he's in, what kind of pain that he's in. And I, I think at least one reason for that is that we're supposed to fill in the blank with our own troubles, with our own darkness. What's troubling you this morning? Think about that for, for a moment. What, what, what are you hopeless about this morning? Whatever it is, is it sin? You've been sinned against? Is it suffering? Is it a combination of the two? Is it just circumstances? Uh, maybe, maybe you feel hopeless and you have no clue why. You, you, you can't put any reason on it. For Haman, as you read this psalm, it seems to be just all, all of the above. He says in verse 15, I've been afflicted and close to death from my youth up. He's experienced what Paul once called sorrow upon sorrow. The minute he thinks he's turned a corner with one trouble, he runs into another. He, he thinks there's no way I can take any more of this. And then more sorrow is piled on. As he puts it in verse 9, my eye grows dim through sorrow. Meaning he's so consumed by his constant troubles that he can barely keep his eyes open. Let's take another step down into the pit. Haman's not just in pain, he's stuck in pain. Verse 6 says, I'm in the depths of the pit and the region's dark and deep. Verse 8 goes further and says, I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. He's stuck in darkness and there's no way out. A few weeks ago, I was in Arkansas with family and went to visit the Blanchard Springs Caverns. Um, now, to get to these underground caves, you have to cram into an elevator with 20 people or more. And you go 240 feet down into the earth. Um, after that, you, you kind of squeeze through this narrow tunnel and it opens up into this massive, bat-filled, dimly lit, underground cavern. Now, this was a, this is a safe guided tour, but the moment we got down there and the guide said casually that we'd be there for at least an hour, I felt myself begin to panic. I didn't know we'd be down there that long. Several times the God would even shine a flashlight around the cave and point out places where there are recent cave-ins. 
Um, literally, I was in the depths of a pit in regions dark and deep. I was fighting off panic because I felt trapped, shut in, without escape. Now, imagine that you're down in such a cave, no guide with you, so dark you can't see your hand in front of your face, with no end or escape in sight. That's where Haman, our psalmist, is. As he puts it in verse 17, My troubles surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. Have you ever felt suffocated by your circumstances? Claustrophobic. You ever had a problem that that was so dark it, it cast darkness over your entire life? That's where Haman is. Okay, bear with me and take another step into the pit. We see that our friend Haman is alone. In verse 8, he says, You have caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. Pain has a way of isolating us. Uh, Haman's friends have abandoned him. Perhaps they they judge him for his troubles. They, they, They think he's being melodramatic. Or they they think he's losing his mind. Maybe they cared at first, but he just got too needy. His circumstances were too heavy for his friends. And and they just, they said, I I can't anymore, Haman, I can't. The psalm ends in verse 18 with this. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. If you go by the ESV footnotes translation, darkness has become my only friend. Simon and Garfunkel translate this as, hello darkness, my old friend. This is Haman's poetic way of saying, I got nobody. I've got no one. No one to comfort, no one to help, no one to guide, no one to weep with, no one to speak to, no one to listen to. No one to love. No one to love him. Haman is alone in his trouble. Now, taking another step into the pit, we see that being alone and stuck in pain has left Haman feeling like a dead man. More than any other metaphor, he describes his hopelessness as an experience of death. He refers to himself as drawing near to Sheol. Like the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, the departed, close to death. Living without hope, it has a way of dehumanizing you. The longer you go without hope, the less you're able to experience life's joys. The more hope you lose, the more you resemble the dead. Recently, I've been watching Lord of the Rings with my son Judah, uh, which is a a dream, a day I've been waiting for since the day he was born. Um, As many of you know, in the story, the longer that Frodo carries the ring, the closer he gets to Mordor, uh, the more hopeless he becomes until he's like the walking dead. He's becoming more and more like his enemies, 
the undead who are chasing him. This hopeless quest of his is just draining him of life, just leaving him a shell of a person. At one point near the end in in Mordor, Frodo's companion, his faithful friend Sam, tries to encourage him by reminding him of their, their beloved home, the Shire. Sam says, do you remember the Shire, Mr. Frodo? It'll be spring soon. The orchards will be in blossom. The birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket. They'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields and eating the first of the strawberries with cream. You remember the taste of strawberries? Now you hear that and you think, oh wow, if anything is going to get through to, to Frodo, it's that. But Frodo is in the land of Psalm 88. He says, no Sam, I can't recall the taste of food, nor the sound of water, nor the touch of grass. I'm naked in the dark. There's nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of fire. I can see the enemy with my waking eyes. Frodo is so hopeless that he's, he's, he, he's, his greatest earthly joy has become meaningless to him. That's where Haman is. Okay, now one more step into the pit, into the darkness. And we see that Haman has decided that he must be under God's judgment. When he, when he looks around at, at his life, at the train wreck of his life, he goes, this is the only conclusion I can come up with. In verse 7, he says, your wrath lies heavy upon me. Verse 14, he says, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? He goes on in verse 15 and 16, I suffer your terrors. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. I'm being punished. That's, 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 that's the only way he can make sense of it all. I'm, I'm being punished. In fact, actually, if you reread the, whole, the psalm with this in view, the, the whole thing, all of his suffering, he, he uh, says is caused by God. He says, you have put me in depths of the pit. You overwhelm me. You caused my companions to shun me. You made me a horror. Your wrath has swept over me. Now, we could argue with Haman on this point, couldn't we? Come on, Haman. Just because you're suffering doesn't mean that God's angry with you. Suffering doesn't equal judgment. Right? Sometimes it does, but Haman, there's no reason to assume that, especially for a believer like you. For now, we're not going to argue with him on that point. We'll have to circle back around to that. Okay, everybody take a deep breath. We've, we've made it as far into the pit as we have to go. We've located Haman. We sufficiently tasted his hopelessness and, and felt what life is like for him. Before... We too become lost in the darkness. We better begin our way out. The question is, how do we get out from here? 
When life is as hopeless as Psalm 88, where is hope to be found? Believe it or not, there is hope in this psalm. And inspiring this psalm, even if Haman himself didn't mean it, in inspiring this psalm, the Spirit left us a trail of hope to help us find our way out of the pit. Now, trail of breadcrumbs, no doubt, but it's one that will nonetheless lead us towards hope. We begin our way out of the pit and into hope, recognizing the fact that this psalm is in Scripture at all. Why, why would God put such a psalm in His holy word? Why would He breathe out of His mouth such a hopeless psalm? It's because He wants us to know there's room for people like Haman in His kingdom. He wants us to know that His people throughout history, even godly writers of Scripture, have walked in darkness too. He wants to give us words, His words, for life in the pit. Counselor Ed Welch uh, once said, whoever describes a person best wins their ear. This, this psalm is God putting into words the experience of despair. Um, so that he might win our ear. If, if this psalm is describing your life, give him your ear. We continue our way out of the pit towards hope, pouring out our hearts to God. Haman feels sure he, that God's rejected him. God doesn't care. If he's even real, he doesn't care. And yet, he continues speaking to God. The psalm begins with, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. In the middle, he says, Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. At the end, he says, But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Well done, Haman. Well done. He's doing what Jesus called believing without seeing. What Paul called hope against hope. Every bit of the psalmist's experience is telling him, give up. But he prays anyway. He cries out to a God that by all experiences has rejected him. By all appearances is not there. Crying out into the void, reaching out into the darkness, he pours his heart out to God. And he continues to hope when there is no logical reason to do so. This is a major step out of the pit. This is a major step towards hope. It's where the ascent from the pit often begins with pouring out your heart to God. Despite your certainty that no one's listening, put words, put the darkness into words that's troubling your soul. And perhaps in spite of everything, God is listening. Next, we continue our way out of the pit and towards hope by placing this psalm in the mouth of Jesus. 
Psalm 88 is actually one of the clearest uh, descriptions of his experience of suffering. When you read the psalm with this in view, with with the cross of Jesus in view, it's amazing. It, It all becomes literal. His life was truly drawing near to Sheol as he lost all strength on the cross. His closest companions, his disciples, shunned him truly and were horrified by his suffering. He died on the cross forgotten and cut off from his father. He was set loose among the dead and put in a graveyard with the slain. His dead body literally put into a pit, an underground tomb. And as he lay in the grave, or as his dead body lay in the grave, the only friend he had left was darkness. And yet there's hope in this because his suffering assures us of his compassion. You ever notice that suffering has a a way of making people compassionate? The most compassionate people are always the ones who have suffered and yet persevered. The the aftertaste of darkness is still on their tongue. Their, Their hands have not forgotten the feel of the pit. If you're looking for compassion, find the person with the most scars. Find the one walking with the limp and yet who's still praising God. Your pain will move that person as if it is their own pain. Hebrews tells us this is why Jesus had to suffer. This is why he had to go through life on earth and go through the cross so that he would be a compassionate high priest who knew weakness and suffering. So that he would know what life is like for us. Now that he does, our pain moves the heart of Jesus as if it were his own. So when we cry out into the darkness, we can have confidence that he hears. Even if we can't see him, his suffering assures us that he's moving towards us in compassion. Even if we can't feel him, his suffering promises that he's right there next to us, sitting with us in the darkness. And that one day, somehow, some way, he'll rescue us. Next, we continue our way out of the pit and towards hope by recognizing this. The judgment mentioned in Psalm 88 was literal for Jesus, but not for us. Not for Haman. In other words, as we believers are hopeless over our sin and suffering and feel, begin to feel rejected by God, we can be sure that as painful as those feelings are, as sure as we feel about them, they're only feelings. Whatever reasons we're in such a place of hopelessness, God's judgment is not one of them. Because Christ suffered and entered into that judgment for us. We may have no clue whatsoever why God's plan for our life included such darkness. And yet we know this, that it's not because he's angry with us. We know that because Jesus propitiated his anger. He absorbed God's judgment. He diverted it away from us and onto himself on the cross. 
Therefore, whoever trusts in the work of Christ, though they suffer, they're assured that it's not for judgment's sake. So when we suffer and pray and wait and suffer and pray and wait and our prayers go unanswered, we can be sure that they're not held in the hands of an angry judge. But as John Newton said, that our unanswered prayers are held in hands that bled for us. Now, our final step out of the pit into hope. It's this. God has given us answers to the questions in verses 10 to 12. We haven't mentioned those questions yet. And they're probably the most important part of this psalm. Haman asked God, Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? This is Haman's way, his poetic way of asking, Is there any hope for for someone like me? What what are the chances that a guy as, as wretched and hopeless as me finds his way out of the pit, gets rescued. About a thousand years later, God answered Haman with three words. He is risen. Beside a tomb in a graveyard, just a few miles from where Haman likely wrote these words, an angel delivered God's reply to Haman. Are you looking for the living among the dead? He has risen, just as he said. If ever it appeared that someone was beyond hope, it was that man hanging on the cross, bleeding, weeping, suffocating. If ever there were a case more hopeless than Haman's, more hopeless than yours even, surely it was Christ crucified, forgotten by friend and by father. If ever there were a lost cause, surely it's that Messiah who promised so much whose body is now in a grave. And yet, and yet, he rose. He is risen. He lives. And because he lives, so too may we. So too may Haman. For if God did wonders in the darkness for Jesus and and we belong to him, Can't he do the same for us? If God declared his steadfast love into the grave of Jesus and we're united to Jesus by faith, can we not hope for the same? If we pray in the name of Jesus, who was delivered from death and rose up to praise the Father, why shouldn't we hope for deliverance too? In this way, the resurrected Jesus is our hope of rescue from the pit. Now, when we come out of the pit, does that mean all of our problems are going to be solved? Not likely. But the hope of the cross makes it possible to face those problems. Will the pain have ceased at least? Maybe not. Even so, the hope of the resurrection makes it possible to flourish in the midst of pain. I'm going to let Paul give the last word from the text that Quinn read earlier in 2 Corinthians. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength 
that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Pray with me. Father, there are people in this room, surely, who are hopeless today. There are people in this room whose lives are in darkness. I pray you would send out your light and your truth into that darkness. I pray you would give them assurance that you are the God who welcomes Uh, them to yourself. You are the God who wants to hear, whose ear is bent towards them. I pray that you would assure uh, us, all of us, uh, that that you have tasted suffering deeper than we have. have. You have been in darkness deeper than we have. And therefore, your compassion is towards us. Lord, help us to know that as judged as we feel, uh, Lord, that that judgment uh, was taken on your son. Lord, give us hope that you are the God who resurrects the dead, and therefore you will hope, you, we can hope in the same for us. In Christ's name, amen.